I want to introduce you to someone today besides Rick and Holly. I want to introduce you to someone else. If you watch the, the video, this is a young lady. Her name is Leah. There's Leah. Leah is four years old, and she's getting ready to take a plane ride. Now, I should tell you that uh, Leah is French-Canadian, so I can't understand a word she says. But French is a really hard language to learn, and she's four years old, and she's mastered it already, so she's obviously a genius. Uh, you may have guessed, or you will guess, that her father is the, is the pilot. You'll notice that from the interactions between the two of them. But what's important is that you on watch Leah's reaction to this flight. On Yeah, wonderful. You can see the joy in her eyes. I can't, I can't tell you what she's saying, but I can guess. I think she might be saying, do it again, Daddy. Do it again, Daddy. And her daddy does. Again and again. What do you think, what do you think Daddy's feeling at this point? I'll tell you one thing Daddy's feeling. Daddy is feeling in control. Daddy knows how to fly a plane. He knows exactly what he has to do to pull off each one of these maneuvers and, and to do it safely. But I guarantee you, he is also enjoying his daughter. He is enjoying her trust in him in this moment. <laughs> oh, Leah is four years old. I doubt she knows how to fly a plane yet. I have a feeling one day she will. Leah is four years old. I really doubt she understands Bernoulli's Law. You know Bernoulli's Law, right? You familiar with Bernoulli's Law? Do you know Bernoulli's Law? It's fast-moving air has lower pressure than slow-moving air. It's why plane wings are curved. You guys know that, right? You wouldn't get on a plane without knowing Bernoulli's Law, would you? I mean, come on, you, gotta know. you don't need to know Bernoulli's Law to ride in a plane. You know, all that Leah really knows is that her daddy is in control. And that's what enables her to enjoy the ride, a ride that you and I would be terrified on, a ride that you and I would probably lose our lunch or something else on, and yet she is able to enjoy it. I think there's something we can learn from Leah's joy for when our rides get a little scary. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. And again, I remind you, these are fruits. These are not, uh, th these are fruit. These are what the Christian life produces. They are not works that get you saved. They are not acts that you must perform to be forgiven. They are the fruit of the Christian life. It's what your life produces when you live for God, when you give yourself to Him. And we need to ask ourselves, what do we need in our lives to cause joy to grow within us? How do we nurture the growth of joy within our own lives and within the lives of others? Well, the last Two weeks we focused on Philippians chapter 4, which is a great place to begin when we're learning about joy. But today I want to do kind of a survey of the scriptures and find some answers. And, and the first thing I want to look at is the focus of our joy. What is the focus of our joy? And if you survey the scriptures, you find out that the focus of, your, of our joy 
is Jesus himself. And I want to remind you again, you guys should know this, you've heard me say this the last two weeks, there is a big difference between joy and happiness. Joy and happiness are not the same things. Happiness is about chance. Happiness is about circumstances. There's an old word that we use every now and then, we say happenstance, you know, and that's, that has the same origin, the same root as happiness and, and happen. Happenstance. If, if by chance things happen to work out in my favor, then I will be happy, right? That's happiness. That's not joy, though. Joy is proactive happiness. Joy is happiness that takes control of your attitude. It says, no matter the circumstances, I will rejoice in the Lord. That was the command. It was the command in Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. That's the focus. That's where we place the focus for our joy. Never forget that that's the focus. Paul was in prison when he wrote Philippians 4. He was going through some horrible circumstances, and yet he doesn't say, rejoice in prison always, I say again, rejoice. That's not the focus. Paul was anticipating that he could be led outside and he could find his head on the chopping block at any time now. He says in Philippians, he says, I don't know if I'm going to live or die. But Paul didn't say, rejoice in the chopping block always. And again, I say rejoice. That's not the focus of our joy. And so, so please don't ever hear rejoice in cancer always or rejoice in addiction always or rejoice in failure always. But if, if Jesus is Lord, and He is, then He's Lord over cancer. He's Lord over addiction. He's Lord over failure. He's Lord over anything else. And so you can rejoice during all of those things if you're rejoicing in the Lord. And a friend of mine had an unusual pain in the side of his face several years ago. And he went and had it checked out and found out that he had a tumor. He had a tumor in, in his face and Doctors decided they needed to get that out of there, so they arranged surgery. He went into pre-op, and as he was waiting to be operated on, the nurse came in to take his vitals, and she took his blood pressure, and it was strangely normal. And she looked at him and looked at the blood pressure monitor, and she took it again just to make sure, and it came out strangely normal. And she finally said to him, you you know why you're here, right? <laughs> you know they're going to do surgery on you. You know, you know that there, there could be complications for this. He says, yeah. She said, well, why aren't you nervous? And he got to tell her about Jesus. And he said, you see, no matter what happens today, I win. Whether everything works out the way we want it to, or if it doesn't, either way, I win. About a year later, he had follow-up surgery. And he was in pre-op, and nurse came in. Turned out it was the same nurse. She took his vitals, didn't look at him, just put the blood pressure cuff on, took his vitals, and his blood pressure was strangely normal again. She looked up, she looked at him, and she said, I remember you. She remembered the, the man who came in trusting Jesus and the, the trust that he had. James says in James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. You know, if joy is merely happiness, then James is off his nut. Uh, you can't be happy about trials. You cannot be happy about persecution. You cannot be happy about, about sickness and tumors and rotten circumstances. You would be crazy to be happy in those times. But if the focus of your joy is Jesus, if your focus is someone permanent, someone who never changes, then you can 
be joyful because these circumstances don't get in the way of your joy. Your anchor holds that tether that keeps you from falling. It keeps you firmly in place. That's why it's so important that we understand joy and we know how to hold on to it. Jesus is the, is the focus of our joy, but there's also the force of our joy. The force of our joy is the strength that we derive from it. The force of our joy is the strength that comes from our joy. You've heard me say many times, I've quoted over and over again this year, John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And I've told you over and over again that the enemy, Satan, wants to steal your joy. He tries to steal your joy. He wants to snatch it away from you. But I think there's something else he does also, something that's more insidious, more dangerous. I think very often it's not just a matter of him stealing our joy. He, he wants to counterfeit our joy. He gives us something that makes us feel good, something that makes us feel happy, and we think, well, that's joy. I'm, I'm feeling joy. You know, some days, some days we come together here, some days we come to worship, and, and everything goes great. You know, some Sunday mornings we show up, and, and you've gotten plenty of sleep, you had, a, you had a great breakfast, you had a nice crowd, all the songs go right, message is good, of course the message is good, right? And, and we think, we, we, we leave here thinking, praise God, you know, that was just a great joyful time. Well, okay, it was joyful, but how much of that was dependent upon circumstances? How much of that was, was dependent upon circumstances? Let's, let's be honest, a lot of that is based on circumstances. What happens if you oversleep? What, what happens if, if we have a small crowd? What happens if some nut decides that we need to set our clocks back an hour or forward an hour? What, what happens then? It, it's not quite the same, is it? Those things really work on us. And after a while, we think, oh, no, not another Sunday. Oh, no, not that guy again. You know, what's he going to go on about this week? Folks, the, the devil lies to us. The devil lies to us. The Bible says that it's, it's his native language. When he lies, he is speaking his native tongues. He wants us to think when everything is going great, that's joy. And when everything doesn't, then obviously something's wrong with us because we're not joyful. That's not joy. It's nice. It's a relief. But joy is always with you. Joy is not dependent upon circumstances. And the reason the devil wants to confuse you and confound you and, and counterfeit joy is because he knows the power of real joy. There's a, there's a great old story back in your Old Testament, dusty old book in your Old Testament called Nehemiah. Little little book back there. It's an amazing story. When, when Nehemiah starts, the, the city of Jerusalem is in ruins. The walls are all knocked down in Jerusalem. The, the people of, of Israel had been taken into captivity for 70 years. They had finally come back home. They get back and they find that their city, they've been gone for 70 years, their city's been ransacked. The walls are all tore down. And so Nehemiah launches this plan to, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem because once they have walls, they'll have security. Once they have walls, they'll be strong. They, they will be a city again. They will be a people again. And so Nehemiah organizes this team to rebuild the walls. It's not easy. It's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of opposition in the story of Nehemiah. And yet, when, when it's done, when the wall's finished, they dedicate the walls. And this, this preacher comes down out of the mountains. <laughs> Nehemiah, or, or Ezra. Ezra the scribe comes down out of the mountains. And Ezra comes to read the books of the law of God. He comes to read Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy to them. And as, as Ezra is reading the book of the law of God, the people respond. They, they knew that it was their own sin and the sin of their ancestors 
that had caused their city to be destroyed. They, they knew that they had failed. And the, they start responding. And they're weeping and they're wailing and they are crying and they are repenting. And Nehemiah, in the midst of all of that emotion, you know what Nehemiah says? Nehemiah 8, verse 10. Nehemiah says, Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You've heard that part before, right? The joy of the Lord is my strength. There's a little song that goes along with that. I'm not going to make you sing it today. Uh, but there's a little song we sing with the kids. The joy of the Lord is our strength. That's how you recognize real joy. It's, a, it's not a reaction. It's not a, a response to a good day. It's your strength. It's what keeps you going. It's, it's not a goofy grin that you wear on your face on the worst day of your life, but it's a solid recognition that your life is forever tied to the life of Jesus Christ. And that as long as He is alive, you are alive. His home is your home. His Father is your Father. His strength is your strength. I think we've caught a little bit of that here. I think we've come to understand that. I think we've managed to hold tight in some real tough stuff. But to really understand our joy, we're also going to need to understand the fullness of our joy. And the fullness of our joy comes from the unity that we experience with each other and the blessing that we have with each other. Having a little joy is a wonderful thing. But over and over again in Scriptures, it talks about something greater. It talks about being full of joy. Peter writes about being full of joy. Paul writes about being full of joy. John writes about being full of joy. All of them talk about not just having a little joy, but being full of joy. And what I think we need to understand is exactly how we get that. How do we get full of joy? Where does that come from? You know, we could go back to, to Philippians chapter 2 again. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, and you know what there is, there's encouragement in Christ. If there's any comfort from love, and you know there is comfort from love, if any participation of the Spirit, if any affection and sympathy, and all of those things exist, then he says, so complete my joy complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. From all that I read in Paul's letters, I'm guessing he was already a, a joyful person. He sounds very joyful in many of his letters. But what was it that Paul said would complete his joy? It was if we have the same love, if we have the same mind, if we live in true unity. You know, it, it's one thing for you to be joyful. It's another for, for me to be joyful. But when we come together, when we put aside our differences and we come as one, our joy is multiplied. It links us, it unites us, and it grows with us. And more than that, it, it overflows. Paul, Paul doesn't say, this will make your joy complete. He says, this will make my joy complete. Paul is miles away from them. He's, he's nowhere near Philippi when he writes this, letters, and, and this letter. And yet he says, if you do this, my joy will be complete. Joy is infectious. And when we come together, it spreads. If you remember Jesus' command, John chapter 15, verse 12, Jesus gives us a command. He says, love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you, you are also to love one another. If you back up just one verse before that, in John chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And again, you see that, that kind of emphasis and you realize this is not just an emotional response. 
This is not just a response to, to circumstances. It is the spiritual produce of your life. It is fruit. It nurtures you as you mature and it grows within us as we grow together. I want to take you back for just one moment, literally just one moment frozen in time. I want you to look at Lydia again. Just that one picture of Lydia. Look at that face. Isn't that amazing? I hope you can see this. If not, come up later. You can, you can take a closer look. Look at that face. It's just an amazing face. You know, I want you to notice the details here. This little girl's life, her, her world has just gone sideways. You know, you, you, see the, you see the ground, right? You see where the ground is? It's off to the side. Her world has gone sideways, and in just a few seconds, it's going to spin upside down. But you look at her face. You look at the joy that's there. And even though that's a still picture, I bet you can still hear her laughter, can't you? If not, Rick can do it for you. Uh, <laughs> you can still hear her laughing. You, you, you can hear it in your head and in your heart. You know that she's enjoying it. I also want you to notice her eyes are not on her father, are they? In fact, if you think about it, Leah couldn't see her father's face at all through this entire ride, but, but she knows her daddy is there, doesn't she? Uh, she's watching her world spin, but she knows her father is there. She knows that he's in control. You've got moments when your world goes sideways. You've got those moments when your world starts spinning out of control. Maybe a child comes home with an announcement that you didn't want to hear. Maybe the doctor gives you a diagnosis that you were, you were dreading. Maybe someone who said they would always be there. They, they walk out of your life forever. And in those moments, I cannot promise you your face is going to look like that. In fact, I'd be worried if your face looked anything like that in, in those moments. But I can promise you, your father is still in control. He still loves you. And he longs to see your joy. There's a tiny little letter in the back of your Bible. Smallest letter in the entire Bible. It's 3 John. It's only 15 verses long. And in verse 4, John says in, in verse 4, and I think he's speaking for Jesus. You know, John was Jesus' best friend. And I think John knew Jesus well enough that when John writes and says, this is what I feel, he, he knows what Jesus would feel also. 3 John, chapter, 3 John chapter 1, verse 4, John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. No greater joy than you and me walking in the truth. The truth of who Jesus is. That's the focus of our joy. The, the fullness of our joy. The, the, the truth of the, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The force of our joy and the fullness of our joy. That together, we make each other's joy complete. No matter which way your world spins this week, hold on tight to that. Hold on tight to your joy. Let's stand together and pray. Father, every one of us has had our lives turned upside down by circumstances that were beyond our control. And yet, Your love has never failed us. And so, when our focus moves away from Your Son, will You draw us back in Your love? And when our strength is gone, remind us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And when circumstances cause us to feel alone, remind us that our joy is completed and is made full when we love one another. We thank You for your amazing love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.